So if you're in multiple asset classes within real estate, it gives you a different perspective or different protection that if one goes bad, they typically don't all go bad together. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. I'm your host, Mike McManus. And today we're going to be talking about risk and diversification. I've just been thinking a lot about this today. I recently just finished an interview and a recording with Eric Rice from King Operating Corporation, which is a company that basically is building a syndication type model for oil and gas leases. The reason for this show is because Eric gives a very different point of view than you're going to hear in most places. So I will let you check it out and see what you think. But he really comes from a very old school libertarian. And I say old school because most people today, when they think about libertarians or hear libertarian, they think about the current political party. But if you haven't ever read any old libertarian writings like Mises or Hayek, it's a very different approach. He basically is pointing out a lot of systemic risk that's built into our current environment and talked about how basically if you look back at what's gone on over the last 20 years, we've had several crises And most of those have been solved with easy monetary policy. And Eric's point of view is that this has built a situation that likely is going to end with some severe upheaval. And maybe not most people, but a lot of people will listen to this and say, man, that guy's crazy. Or that's that that far right wing view. What I wanted to talk about today was viewpoint and your bias that we all do this And it's really easy to do now where we hear certain things or we have our opinions and we read things that support that. And it's super easy to do right now because Google helps us do that. It feeds us things that are like what we want to hear. Facebook does. It's part of all these algorithms show us things that are trying to show us what we want to find. And on one side, that's good. If what I'm looking for is a place to eat, and it's showing me someplace similar to the places that I usually search for and go to, if I'm looking to go to the chop house and I'm searching restaurants and it shows me McDonald's and nothing against McDonald's, just a different place to eat. And it's kind of a different environment, different food. But if it's not showing me places like I usually want, I'll be frustrated. I might look somewhere else that helps me find things that I like. But when it comes to viewpoints, this tends to pigeonhole us and funnel us down where it makes it really easy to think I've heard the whole story and I'm well informed. And when I was listening to Eric, I thought about a lot of the stuff that I was reading 10 to 15 years ago. Because after the last real estate bust and all the money printing, simply our our easy economic policy, low interest rates, I really thought we were going to see things happen because of that that would lead to some economic disruption. 
And I spent a lot of time learning about it and reading about it and investing for it. And it never really happened. Things kind of clicked along and were okay. And then I stopped worrying about it. And now made me think again, have I become complacent? Have I protected myself from all angles? And I went back and said, okay, what if the person who says we're looking at severe economic disruption, which could be depression, collapse of the monetary system, banking collapse, have I set my stuff up that I'm going to be okay? And this is really the a thought process that the ultra wealthy have always had. But those of us who are doctors, high income earners, and especially if we didn't come for money, are looking to try and get to this place of stability. And we don't often have that same viewpoint, or we're trying to grow our wealth and get someplace and don't put in the same backstops. And what are those backstops? I like to look at it and go, okay, what if something bad happened? What if there was a big banking collapse? What's going to happen? Have I at least put something somewhere that's going to try and weather the storm better? And I'm definitely not the world's biggest expert here. And that's why I can't officially give you advice anyway. But, but looking at all those different options, and what are you reading? Are you just reading people who have the same opinion economically? Or are you looking at different opinions and trying to filter through that and go, okay, what could happen and what will happen? And a lot of docs I talk to, they don't even go that far. They basically say, I'm going to put my money in my 401k and it's going to be invested in the stock market. Most of it is going in index funds or some collection of managed mutual funds. And that's going to be okay because long-term, the stock market's a good place to put your money. And so part of the discussion we had today was, what are some of the other possibilities? And one of those I'm looking at is, you know, like, what are you reading? And recently, I was looking at reading some articles from different economists, and I came across some of, and they were talking about cycle theories, and about some of the cycles. And a lot of people that I talked to are like, Oh, that's all crazy talk, you can't predict the future. But when you look at some of these cycles, it's really interesting how you can look back through history and they've similar cycles have happened over and over again, going back for hundreds of years. And then you stop and go, well, this isn't crazy talk. What if it's true? How could this play out in today's environment? Because a cycle that last cycled 80 years ago is not going to look the exact same today. But how could that play? And so a couple of great books, The Fourth Turning by Neil Howe, or The Fourth Turning is Here, is his second book on that, and The Storm Before the Calm by George Friedman. I might have mentioned these before, but they both do a really good job of looking at some of the different business cycles, government cycles, some longer cycles. And when you look at these, you can't predict the future and go, okay, we're going to have a financial collapse next year or there's going to be a downturn, or there's going to be a war. But what it does is it looks at humanity, and humanity has always kind of gone round and round on itself. And my favorite cycles are the ones that look at generational cycles. So when you reach a point that very few people are left alive that remember the way it was when they were children or before them, that we start to think those things can't happen again. 
And so there's where the change, where these cycles can occur. Cause then when those changes happen again, we're all surprised by it because we've never seen it. So on, on shorter cycles, right now, as I talk to a lot of real estate investors and I hear them saying, Oh, well, when interest rates normalize again, or when rates come down from these crazy high rates, and I'm thinking, well, it feels like maybe we've come out of the span of crazy low rates because I bought my first house at eight and a half percent, I think. And at that point, or they had been at nine and they just came down. We waited and I think I locked it in at eight percent. And that was in around 2000 and rates hadn't been that low for several years. So I felt like I was getting a great deal. And then a year later, I refied at seven percent. And then I bought my next house a few years later, and we were like four and a half percent, and nobody had ever seen four and a half percent. And it was crazy talk. And I thought I would never see it again. Lo and behold, after the last few years, and I think my last mortgage right now, I refinanced it and locked it in at like 2.8%, which is basically almost free. So if all you've ever seen are these low rates, the idea of purchasing a home at 6% could seem super high. Nine seems like crazy talk. And because that's all we've experienced. And the great thing about books and history is we can look back and say, what happened before and is the world completely different now and things have changed that's not going to happen again or is there a rhythm here and some potential and then i can look at where my assets are and where my investments are and where my family is and decide could i benefit from maybe some different types of diversification when you talk to your usual investment advisor they talk about diversification as are you in stocks or bonds and if they're really pushing it, they might put you in an index fund or a mutual fund that buys some foreign stocks. And that's kind of the end of it. So if you're listening to this show, I think you've got a step beyond that where you're actually looking at real estate. Here's another way to diversify. And even within real estate, different asset classes can do different things at different times. And that could be multifamily's been on a rip roaring run for the last decade. Is it due for a correction? I don't know. There's still really a shortage of housing out there. And I've got money in multifamily syndications. Do I want it all there? Mm, no. What about office? Investing in office before COVID seemed like a great place to be. And now all of a sudden in some cities, office seems to be falling apart. I've got money in office syndications. I feel fortunate that the bulk of that right now is in ones that have long-term triple net leases with the US government. And maybe that's bad. Maybe they're the ones who are going to renege. They're definitely the ones that if they decided they didn't want to pay that lease anymore, have a way to get out of it. So there's some diversification there. And now into the things I'm most interested in now are retail and neighborhood strip centers because they've been really something that everybody thought was going away with the internet, but are one of the strongest asset classes. And light industrial or warehouse flex space with the internet economy has just right now been on a tear and, and looks like it's just ramping up that maybe that stuff's where multifamily was 10 years ago. But the point is that we don't know. So if you're in multiple asset classes within real estate, 
it gives you a different perspective or it's different protection that if one goes bad, they typically don't all go bad together. Now, our discussion today, we went into other things like investing in raw land and having some holdings there. Why? As an insurance policy, if you've got land that you own, you can always live there and you own title to it. So it, it gives you more holding than maybe what you have in a stock. And then we were discussing today about oil and gas leases, which a lot of people today that I talk to, they're like, oh, I wouldn't invest in oil. That's going away. We're going to be all electric. If we switched every car in America right now to an electric car, where that electricity comes from, I don't know. I learned today that the cloud that all of our stuff is on. I'm not talking about electricity for all our devices. I'm sitting right here recording this on a laptop. And next to me, I got my iPhone and my iPad. And we've got TVs and all these other gadgets. That's just the tip of the iceberg as far as our electricity needs. The cloud actually consumes much more than that. It's every time you take a photo and it gets stored out in the cloud, that's electricity use. Every time you take a video and store it out there, man, my kids, the amount of cloud storage I bought to keep up with my kids' pictures and filming and everything is incredible. And it was that our United States alone's electricity requirement to support the cloud competes with like top five economies in the world. Not something that anybody's talking about. And so I don't even know how I got there. I apologize. There's sometimes where my train of thought just off we go. Hopefully you find it entertaining, at least back looking at oh, raw land and oil and gas. So some people think that oil's going away and we're going to go all electric. That's where I got off on where the electricity comes. How much more electricity can we generate and where does it come from? There are some who believe that we're going to see the price of oil skyrocket over the coming years. And it's an excellent investment. So again, here are investing in some other things. What are some of the other asset classes out there? Precious metals, gold, silver, palladium, platinum. And are you holding those? Are they in an ETF or do you actually have physical receipt of those that you actually have the metal? I used to think when people talked about having physical metal that they had it buried in their backyard. And I'm sure there's people who do have it buried somewhere, hopefully not in their backyard, but there are secure vaults. And Warren Buffett hates gold because he says, well, then you pay to store it, but you can store it in the US or you could store it someplace else. So that comes down to another level of diversification, which is diversification of country or locale. So when we're talking about Diversification can also be location diversification. And this is something that most people aren't exposed to that aren't from either an international family or really high net worth individuals. But if you really want to take a look at worst case scenarios, and that's really what we were kind of talking about on the show with Mr. Rice, is what other things can you do to protect yourself? And one of those things, if you own physical gold, is storing it in a vault offshore. I think there's some, if I remember correctly, that some of those things can create huge tax headaches, which I think is by design that the federal government doesn't want your assets spread in other places. They want to encourage you to keep them here. 
but owning real estate in another country. I was talking with somebody about this, and one of my bucket trips someplace I really want to go is Slovenia. And that's because years ago, I think I was like 18 years old, went to Croatia. It was right after the end of the Soviet bloc, I think. And it was just this beautiful area in the Adriatic Sea. And I grew up in the mountains. And so when you move a little further north, you get into the far eastern Alps. And from what I can tell, it's just a spectacular place, a spectacular environment. And it used to be really cheap. But I've heard that a lot of Eastern Europe, a lot of Germans and other Western Europeans have been retiring there because of the price. But I mentioned this to somebody and their first thought was they were like, oh, with what's going on in Russia. So yeah, there's a different risk in looking at someplace like that. Owning property, we had Aaron Hurley on the show who owns property in Central America. I have a friend from years ago who now lives almost full-time in Chile. So there are other places and that's a consideration. And the whole idea there is if you're really looking to diversify your risk is what go wrong in the world and what would have me covered. Now we have limited assets and this is stuff that if you're worth a hundred million dollars, it's a lot easier to do this kind of diversification, but it doesn't mean that you can't stake a flag somewhere else and be creative about it's a great thing i've learned since getting into the commercial real estate world is instead of oh we can't or why you can't how could we make this happen we do this all the time how could we make this deal happen or what would make this deal worth doing we had this conversation just last night a couple nights ago in a commercial mastermind that i'm in that's got just some amazing amazing people in it, that you can take a deal that maybe doesn't work and get a bunch of opinions on how can we make this deal work? What could make this worth doing? And so it's been a great change in the way of looking at things rather than, no, you can't do that. And then you ask why, and they go, well, because we've never done it that way. Well, why? Well, if it was a good idea, I'm sure somebody would have done it by now. It's amazing how many great ideas out there are just because nobody decided to look at it or they assumed you can't do it or this is just the way you do it. We've got this little sheath we use for ureteroscopy in urology. It's basically when you're driving a scope through the bladder and up into the kidney and typically going after kidney stones, but maybe for other things. But we put this sheath up, which is a little tube that basically so when you take the scope back and forth in and out, you're not traumatizing the ureter, kind of protects the tissue on the other side. And sometimes when you're taking stones out, that stone will get stuck and you just kind of stuck in the sheath and you kind of have to just take the whole sheath out and put it back up again. And we used to do this whole process where we'd have to get one, put the scope in and put one wire up and then take it out. And then you put a catheter where you could put a second wire. And the whole idea was that when you got the sheath up, you wanted to have your safety guide wire that you still have access in case you get into bleeding or you can't see or things aren't working out. It's kind of like your way home, that rope up Mount Everest or, or like they use in places like Snowbird where they'll put ropes between buildings when there's a snow blackout. You can follow your rope to get home safely. And it was this process, whenever your sheath came out, they had to go through to get safety guide wires, you'd have to get something back up and then you'd put in a second guide wire and then you could put your sheath over the second wire. And then that wire would come out as part of that process. Well, then one day the rep comes and she's got this new sheath. 
And I'm like, yeah, it's some other dumb gimmick. There's, you always feel like somebody's selling you a dumb gimmick. And well, this one, you put up the wire once and it just changed. They put an extra hole at the tip so that the wire went in through the middle part so it would guide its way up, but then came out the side of the hole. So when we removed the middle part, you had your safety guide wire and your sheath and it removed like three steps. And I was the biggest naysayer until I used it for a day. And I can't imagine going back. The amount of time wasted. There wasn't wasted because it was the only option before. But I only tell this story, this sidetrack of so many times we don't believe something's possible because it hasn't been done before. You don't know anybody who's done it. And guess what? There's a lot of people out there. Anything I've talked about today, I've met people who do that. And that's part of how you get out of the box and learn about other things. Final thought is diversifying your income streams, that it's not just real estate or investments, or you can also buy businesses and businesses will sell at a price basically on the cash flow they generate. And there are small and medium-sized businesses available all the time. It doesn't have to be a McDonald's franchise. It'll cost you, I don't know, a million dollars to get set up. I don't know what it costs. So if McDonald's is listening, this is an ad for you. We're promoting you. So there are other ways where you can buy a business and somebody else can manage it and you're the CEO. It's another stream of income. So all of these are different thoughts on how to protect yourself, how to diversify. And once you start reaching into these other worlds, amazing things can happen. And some of that I can't talk about yet. I actually recorded this episode in two parts because I was on a call with a new business opportunity that they came to me to discuss if I wanted to be involved. And so once you put yourself out there and you look for opportunity, it's amazing the opportunities that can come. And if you're willing to put aside paradigms and think about what could go wrong, and if you look at all of those, what could go wrong with this? What's the worst case scenario? And where else would I want to have my money so that if this part went wrong, I'm going to have something over here and just coming at it from lots of different angles. So I hope this episode has been of value to you. And if you have any questions, reach out to me. I'm trying to put together a reading list that I can put on there. I, in fact, it's not a reading list. It's a listening list because I listen to books on Audible and I very rarely read books because I'm a slow reader. So again, thank you for joining us. Hope to see you again here on Surgeon Syndicate. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you found value in this episode, you know other surgeons are hungry to become job optional. You can help them by sharing this content today. I also want to serve you better, so I want to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you can take a moment and leave an honest review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help. Schedule a call. We can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.